0: Hey, this is Isara with UX in Motion, and you are listening to the Lottie Files podcast. I was just living off of design jobs off of Craigslist. I didn't even care. I just love design so much. I was just happy to work on anything. It was like a light bulb went off, and I got the difference between just working on static product things and then seeing them come alive. Talk to your developers first. Tell them you're designing motion. Figure out what is possible. Don't design any motion until you've had that conversation, the main question I have is what problem are you solving with this? Motion could be used as a tool, as a solution to solve that problem.
1: Welcome to the Lottie Files Podcast. I'm your host, Edmund, and with me in the studio today is Sarah Willitscomer. He's an awesome personality, teacher, designer, UX pro, you name it. I can't get too much into it because I don't know what I don't know, so I'm gonna let Isara hop in here. Hey, Isara. I'm here, Edmund, nice to meet you, man. Pleasure to have you. So Isara, as you could tell, I couldn't do a good job of laying out your whole rap sheet. So how do you introduce yourself to people?
0: Oh, man, I've been in the UX space for a number of years now. I started off a long time ago doing photography at Humboldt State in uh, Northern California. And I got obsessed with other hardcore people who were passionate about their work, painters and designers. And there was just a small group of people that I kept running into. And one of those people was this guy, Bradley Grosh, who became this really cool designer, just an amazing guy. I'd say if there's anything that really put me down this path, it's meeting up with Bradley, doing some fun projects with him in college, becoming roommates. And I just got turned on to the whole design thing. And from there, it was just a bunch of lucky, fortunate Occurrences. I ended up dropping out of college after taking all the design classes, all the film classes, all the photography classes. And I moved up to Seattle and I started working with some really cool people doing weird design tech experimental shit that I was just super into at the time. It was super fun, super passionate. And I was just hustling, man. I was just living off of design jobs off of Craigslist. I didn't even care. I just love design so much. I was just happy to work on anything. And so I would compete against a hundred people. And I would almost always get the job. And I just, I just said yes to pretty much everything from print web and photo retouching and video. And the big turning point was when I, I decided to try out a creative staffing temp agency called filter back in the day in Seattle. And they placed me at a studio called IDEO, which existed up in Seattle for like Less than a year, and then it closed. And it was this cool thing where I got to work with this really amazing dude, Rob Gerling, who was one of the co-founders of a design studio in Seattle called Artifact, where I met my, my wife actually. And I worked with Rob and we ended up doing this one project that involved UI motion. It was the first project I had. And we hired this designer, his name's Eric Braff, who went on to design the motion standards for Microsoft. Amazing guy, genius level dude he was freelancing at the time. And it was like the first time in my life that I saw these static things that I was working on come to life. It was like a light bulb went off and I was just like, and I just got it, right? Like I got the value and I got the difference between just working on static product things and then seeing them come alive. And so bizarrely enough, Eric told me to reach out to this producer, Brian Haman, who worked at a a, a company called SuperFad. And I sent him my design portfolio Brian hired me to direct a huge music video project for this hip hop band. I had no experience doing this and long story short, that was my entrance into directing and producing and designing commercials and all that kind of stuff. And gradually those two things became what I was good at was like this UI design and motion and then photography. Filmmaking. And I've really spent a lot of time looking back at this and really looking at my career path. And a lot of it was I've just really lucked out by meeting some really great people who were super nice and really changed my life. And so that's really been a mission that I've been about is just paying that forward wherever I can. So I work with designers now just starting off or super experienced. Doesn't matter to me. I just want to help them raise their bar. That's why I'm uh, doing this podcast with uh, you is just looking for any way that I can to just make a difference for folks. Because I know that like the folks in my life made a difference for me. And I can't say concretely how things would have been different, but I'm pretty sure that if I hadn't met a lot of these people at the right time, my life would have been really different and maybe not in a good way. I want to go back to something
1: you said earlier. A lot of design platforms have marketplaces, and they're cool. My question is this, what do you take from your days hustling on Craigslist to today's new digital marketplaces where you're still competing with, if not even hundreds, like thousands of people, what's the biggest advice you would give to a motion UX design pro in actually competing uh, for jobs?
0: Yeah, man, I'm glad you asked this question. This is one of the most common questions I get asked. And I I think about this a lot. I have to put this inside of a huge caveat. I do not give career advice because I think it's bullshit. When I look at my career, when I look at everybody else's career, who's been successful. The only thing I see that makes the deciding factor is just luck. They just got lucky. I do think it helps to have talent. It helps to work hard. But the world is filled with people who are talented and work hard and still haven't broke through. So I, I don't want to be a pessimist because I'm not. It's just that the people who are giving career advice are never accountable for people who follow those words and don't get that result. I think that unless you are charging for career advice and then you're willing to give people a refund if what you say doesn't work then you should just stop doing it. It's bullshit because there are people who will do exactly what you tell them and and it won't work. So like the advice I will give you, take in mind, I'm a white guy. I'm straight. Like people treat me a certain way that they might treat other people who don't look like me, who don't talk like me. So I just really want to acknowledge that I've had a lot of privilege looking how I look and that may have gotten me a certain result. And so if I just tell people to do what I did, they might not get that result. That being one factor. The other is just, there's so much randomness, man. That being said, if I was starting over now, knowing what I know, or the advice that I give to people inside of that caveat saying, I really can't predict things for you. Here's what I see. There's several important things. One is being consistent and just Loving what you do and working hard helps. It may result in nothing. There, are, the world is full of people who post content daily and still never break through. So it's that's not the actual formula. I do think that there's several ways to compete, and I've done both and I've won at both. The first way is to just be the best. You just have to outcompete everybody. And that's hard. I get scared because the world now is not the world when I was starting off. You're competing against 12 year olds in China who were amazing designers, like amazing. Like the talent is just like amazing now. I'm not saying you shouldn't do it, but it's hard. The other approach that I recommend is to find something and specialize in it. Just really niche down, like niche down to some obscene level that you wouldn't even think possible. And that's basically what I did with my career was like I started off doing everything and then it sort of turned into like UI motion stuff, which is super niche. And then I even niched in further when that got way crowded into this like usability and emotion space. And that's really different than just people who are producing motion all the time. And so in doing that in publishing material, that's very unique, but valuable, I was able to like really change my career and add new services, add new products, and really not even compete with anybody at all. Like if you're a design team and you want a workshop on this topic, there's only one person in the world who's doing these workshops, who will come in and train your team. And that's, that's me. You. That's, it. that's it. I don't have to compete, dude. I love that because I,
1: I actually feel like you gave me good advice. And that is this idea of find the overlap of two things that you know how to do, but combine them
0: in such a way that no one else knows how to do them. I absolutely love that. Here's the missing piece, it has to have value. And I think that's the hardest thing to do. I think that's the biggest wild card that you have the least control uh, like over is you can do that and you can specialize in all kinds of weird stuff that people don't need. So the trick is when you do that, just be aware that if it doesn't have value for people, you may need to do something else. The, the last thing that's super, super critical that I think people just do not fully appreciate Is that the longer you're in this space, the more relationships you're going to build. It is critical that you maintain those relationships. I cannot tell you how valuable those relationships have been to me, probably to the tune of like hundreds of thousands of dollars, uh, like over 20 years, your friends will get better. They'll get good jobs. They will advance slowly, but surely your network will grow as long as you're cool you gotta be cool, you gotta be sharing, you gotta be friendly, you gotta just be an awesome person to work with, be a good friend, be a good person, and your network will grow, and you're going to have something where one friend will bring in 90% of your business for like one year, right? Like it's this very skewed thing where you will have one or two uh, connections that will really bring in a, a lot of business for you. So that's something that's really important is just maintaining those friendships and relationships.
1: Well, I wanna get into more about this unique space that you occupy. First question is just thinking about motion, animation, design, what's the role of it? Whether you're creating a digital product, a SaaS business, or I don't know, an animated movie, like what do you think the role of
0: animation is first? Dude, I love that question. Yeah. So the way I think about it, and this is on a spectrum, right? So there's two points on the spectrum. One point is motion is playing a like emotional role and it's potentially using more branded stuff. It shows up in pull to refresh or like icon, like animations or like onboarding screens. For the most part for most products it's a small percentage maybe five percent or ten percent of the total motion but that's what i call a like additive motion meaning that the motion itself is not critical to the ux you can use the product without those things happening it's not impacting your ability it won't make or break anything so it's adding to the user experience on the other extreme you have product you have motion in products that is really partnering with the UX it's shows up in a, a like transition between screens where the user mental model may be supported by the motion or it's managing a like cognitive load where there's a difference between screens and the motion is smoothing that out and it's explaining to the user how they got from one place to a, another place and so the motion is having like more of a partnership role and it's, it really sometimes will break the UX if the motion's not there. So w- w- what I like to have people do during my workshops and what I teach is imagine if there was no motion in this one thing. Say you're going from like a, lit, like a list to a like detail view. If there's no motion and it's just a straight cut, What is that like? How does the user like experience that, right? It's just, there's no motion there. It just cuts. So you're at A and it goes to B. Boom. Okay. Interesting. That could be really jarring. That could be really hard for users to figure out like cause and effect or the narrative of how they got from A to B. Motion could be used as a tool, as a solution to solve that problem. You can't use the UX necessarily because this screen looks right. This screen's also right. So where's the problem? The problem is between these screens and the motion exists between those screens. And so we use that as a tool to solve that problem. And so then you get like it into the world of design systems and usability and potentially split testing and getting feedback. And all that kind of stuff so to me that's where motion that's the spectrum where motion lives now some things can be in the middle but i typically tend to f- to focus on these things as different buckets
1: great okay so second question ux what's the role of it in i don't know let's not even talk about digital products. like what if ux was used to design a chair? What is is the overall priority or mandate of UX
0: to you? That's a great question, man. Wow. Never really been asked that. And this is my own opinion. I'm sure it could upset some people out there, but we all use tools and things all the time that clearly don't have UX. I go to the gas station, I fill up my car with gas and I use a little kiosk there. And it was clear they didn't hire a UX designer. It's just some engineers that just coded some buttons up and some hardware things. And they're like, hey, it works good enough. Let's like ship it. Right. And you know what? I can still buy gas. I go to my local co-op and I pay with my card and like the same thing. It's just like the same payment kiosk thing. It's almost there's just no UX at all, or it's like anti-UX or poorly designed whatever you want to call it, I can still pay for my stuff. It's not a deal breaker. At the same time, UX can be completely critical. And I think of cases where there's been like like ballots, like for voting, where it's clear that the design of the ballot was so bad that it actually changed the outcome of how people voted. And that has real world consequences for generations, potentially. So I think it really depends. I think a lot of the time, the physical world is awesome because we can just use it. We can figure it out. It doesn't have to be perfect. My problem with software in particular is a lot of it is like zero sum. It either works or it doesn't sometimes. For example, I uh, signed up to, for uh, DoorDash for the first time yesterday and it wouldn't work. I couldn't sign in. It was zero sum, right? The real world is not like that. You can use a poorly made hammer and still hammer something, but with tools that are poorly made with software in certain instances, it completely fails. At the same time, I am currently working and have worked on highly complex UX projects with amazingly talented people doing stuff that I can't do. Thinking through at a level involving like edge cases, And looking 10 moves ahead, like a chess game. And I just can't do that. I'm not that good. And there are certain tools, certain pieces of software, certain things that absolutely require that level of thinking or the whole thing will just fall apart. So I think when people tend to just put UX on a pedestal and make it this big deal, most of UX is not that hard. It's just like, you just think through it. Don't do stupid stuff. And most of the time, it's okay. Sometimes you will be working with very complex things where you want to really invest heavily and have the right team. And it just really depends, man.
1: Yeah, especially when it comes to digital products, it's so critical. Okay, let's bring these different parts of the Venn diagram motion, animation, design, UX. Let's bring them together with your unique skill set. And here's my question. How do professionals think about this overlap of UX and motion similarly or differently? How are they optimizing or not optimizing this combination in your view?
0: Oh yeah, dude, it's all over the board. It is all over the board, man. So I've definitely talked to hundreds of designers on many different teams about this exact same question. I also want to know because I want my workshop to fit in perfectly and be valuable. Yes. Great question, man. Short answer is it's all over the board, ranging from teams like Waze, where there's like a couple of people or one person, very small team, designing the motion. They can put it in the product. It looks awesome. It gets made. It gets shipped. Done. Beautiful. Gorgeous. It works. Then I've trained lots of other teams like Fortune 100 companies where they can't even use Lottie. There was uh, one team, which you've definitely heard of. They have a bunch of customer-facing stuff and then a bunch of business-facing tools. The business-facing tools could use Lottie, but the customer-facing products could not. Now, this is the reality, man, is that many tools and products that we use are built on platforms With various levels of complexity, of legacy, of teams that have certain strengths with PMs who have certain priorities, usually most places are somewhere in the middle. They have some folks working on motion. Some things can get made. For the most part, they're focused on shipping stuff and motion will be the first thing that'll get cut because it's not critical to the product's success. What it takes is somebody at the top making a strong case, pushing people. And then also it helps having a couple of strong folks at the bottom who are able to keep showing people what's possible and having those little motion studies and like prototypes work their way up the chain where people who are higher up can look at that and go, yeah, this is awesome. What's it going to take to make this happen? What kind of funding and resources do we need? This is where I'm at, is working with bigger companies, designing these products. The number one thing I tell people before they start designing motion, the number one is like, talk to your developers first, tell them you're designing motion, figure out what is possible, what's low hanging fruit and how they want things specced out. Don't design any motion until you've had that conversation. I was working on a motion system for a high-end luxury car company. We had a great team, amazing product, like world-class. We were designing the motion. Halfway through the project, we found out from developers that they couldn't do, I think it was like blurs. We were designing all this stuff and it was just like a, a random thing that they just couldn't do. They were just like, yeah, we just can't do blurs. So then we, there was a whole bunch of motion and like UX work that was dependent. And so this is the thing, man, the real work gets done inside design constraints, right? That's the real world is there are either like hardware constraints, time constraints, resource constraints, platform constraints, you name it. And the better you are at working within those constraints and doing something awesome, that's what teams are looking for. That's how you get hired at a tech company and get that awesome job.
1: Let me ask you this. There's this thing I'm noticing as I'm talking to people in the motion design industry. Lotties themselves are like six X smaller than your traditional files. So here's my point. Doesn't that, the idea that we have smaller and smaller files, doesn't that create like some sort of a hazard? It essentially encourages people to just go crazy with these. And so what I'm noticing is people building websites with Interactive background and the idea of a website now with Lottie to me has totally changed. And so what my question coming back to conceptual frameworks and UI principles
0: is too much of Lottie a bad thing? Where do you stand? I, to me, the two biggest use cases are product designers versus web designers. I deal exclusively with product designers and product design teams. I have, for better or for worse, deliberately not gone into the web motion side of things. And they're really two completely different cultures, different tools, different approaches, different ways of delivering value different workflows, I've focused exclusively on product. It's something that I think I'm more interested in and more passionate about. And honestly, I feel is more lucrative than web stuff. I look at usability things. Like to me, motion delivering delight is such a small part of the total value that motion plays in product design. I look at motion on websites for usability I rarely critique if it's too much or if it's too crazy. I think the main question I have, and and this is the thing that I always come back to, is like, what problem are you solving with this? Is this motion solving a problem or is it just adding stuff? If you're running a business or if you have something that is reliant on conversions, that's really important. And you need to look at whether your motion is supporting that or causing problems. So r- rather than saying, sure, I'm sure there are some websites where you're just like, dude, you know, but at the same time, I'm an artist. Like I I, I have an art background. I appreciate art. I appreciate experimental things. Now, I think some, sometimes people have difficulty in understanding where art leaves off and business begins, or maybe the boundary between art and uh, design, which has a big overlap. So you can't show experimental things and then try and pass them off as like real UX or product design. It's fine to do art. It's fine to experiment. It's just if you're running a business website where you need to have users log in or buy something or become a uh, member and they just physically can't do it because there's too much stuff, then yeah, you need to like, (laughs) you need to like have a difficult conversation, you know? Let me throw this back at you.
1: Even though you're, you know, working mainly with product teams, what about this whole new debate about, yo, it's no longer millennials. What about the Gen Z folks? Like we need to engage them. In spite of what you're saying, we have this new cohort of users that just think
0: about these products differently. What, what do you say to that? Dude, honestly, that's a great question. It's interesting. So like Google just released an updated version of their design system. And you can see a lot of concessions towards, I think, what you're talking about. I see that in the visual design, in the thinking, in the philosophy. One of the things that I like about what I specialize in is I don't have to think about stuff like this because it's so like verges on ad agency like mushy opinion, personality, cult based stuff. And it's like, that stuff just, it takes too much energy. I would much rather focus on what are these user mental models? Like how does motion align with the UX and partner and make a beautiful design system with motion, right? that's what I'm focusing on. I think people are asking this question a lot. I think it's a good question. I think it's smart. I would want to make sure that the entirety of the consequences of this spectrum of this, of the the question in the space is addressed. How can we bring these uh, folks in? What are their patterns? Like I've done some volunteer work with youth climate activists and young, right? Like in high school and like middle school. And I watch how they use technology and they use it in a way that is really different than how I use it. Like for them, it's just, it's almost like there's no barrier. It's just a a tool. It's just part of what they're doing to do things. And they don't think about it. It's very seamless and friction-free and they quickly go to things and adapt them and use them or they bail and switch to something else. They're very fluid. They're very dynamic. They get things really quickly.
1: So... Quick thing, what are some examples of Lottie's that you've seen used in products? What are some awesome like Lottie's in the wild?
0: Yeah, great question, man. One of the first things that caught my eye, actually when Lottie first came out, and maybe this is like a, a little dated, but I really think they did such a phenomenal job in just driving the conversation forward, was the work that Gunner did on the Google Home stuff. And if uh, you haven't like seen it, check it out. And that's with uh, John Hughes, Ian Sigmund, Marcus Bach, Vero Gomez, and Nick Forshi. It's the animation that plays on the uh, Google home screen. And what they did early on was they showed what professional motion could look like. And I think that's something that's really exciting and cool are these partnerships with really good animators working with really good designs and putting those right into products. That to me is like the future of what this is about, because there are a lot of really good motion people out there who aren't even in this space. Like I've got a friend who's taught me like everything I know. My friend, Charlie, he's an amazing dude. He can uh, like animate anything. He rarely does work in this space. And I keep telling him, I'm like, dude, Charlie, you got to check out Lottie. You got to start thinking about this dude, because like his career can evolve and his work can really make a huge difference. So if uh, like anything, that was something that I think people got to see for the first time. Wow. This isn't just like moving some layers around. This is like a deep level of like thinking and craftsmanship and attention to uh, detail and especially when you have that partnership between really good design and really good motion. And so much of what I see is like a failure of one of those, right? Maybe the design isn't that great. Maybe the design is awesome, but the motion's not that great. And But when you have that beautiful synergy, that's when things can become really magical and special. Thank you for sharing that.
1: We're going to go back in time, then we're going to leap forward. So first thing I wanted to ask you is Lottie has been around for about five, six years. You've been in motion longer than that, right? So can you just summarize the past five, six years in terms of the impact of
0: Lottie on motion? How
1: would you summarize
0: it? Here's what I think is amazing. And this will make no sense to half half your audience. When Flash first came out, it allowed people for the first time to take a simple tool and do anything they wanted and publish it and when that happened when that came out it forever changed how people saw possibility in this space now flash is gone and most people listening to this will have no idea what i'm talking about but that that was the web space in the product space Lottie Files did the exact same thing and the whole Lottie framework and a shout out to the people who worked on that, Airbnb and Mr. Abdul Kareem and Brandon and uh, uh, like Gabrielle, awesome people. They made this for free and they shared it with the world. They didn't charge for it. They just made it, they put it out there and lo and behold, millions, tens of millions, hundreds of millions of like users later, I don't know. They changed the world. They made something free. They had a vision and they just did it. What's amazing now is prior to this, If you wanted to design motion, it was really hard. It was really hard. You could design it in like After Effects, but then to get it in and get it shipped was like, it was just a challenge. Now, if your team and your platform supports it, boom, like you can really do almost anything, man. And I think that ability to shift how we see products is it doesn't come along very often, man. And it's a pretty incredible thing to see that, experience it, see the cultural shift, and then see all the contributions people are uh, making. It's really opened up the space so that anybody at any time can just make something and have it become real and be you know, seen by millions of people. So I, th- I think it's really cool, man.
1: Yeah, thank you. That's a really nice summation. Now let's leap forward. And let's talk about a prediction or a vision you have for Lottie over the next, I don't know, maybe the next decade of motion animation and UX. What do you envision for for
0: for this? Oh man. So first of all, when you look at studies of humans predicting, what you find is that humans are worse than random, right? So we actually have a lower success rate than just randomness. Okay. So just inside of that caveat. So I try not to predict anything or offer any coaching or like career advice, because it's just like insane. So like you just look at texting, nobody predicted texting would dominate, right? There's no way we're ever going to possibly know this. So this is just a completely entertaining exercise 10 years from now, man, Honestly, looking back 10, 10 years, I don't think there was a single person who predicted anything correctly. Anybody, honestly. I, th- I think especially when you throw in pandemics that will forever alter how we actually do work. It's just, I don't really know. I do have some things that I would like to see. I'd like to see expressions be supported. I would like to see the Lottie Files plug in for uh, Figma support non-GIFs. So it's like you could drop in and then have it be vector and be uh, playable. That's a couple things that I would like to see. I would like to see After Effects be not such a crappy tool. I like everybody I know has a love hate relationship with it. And we love that some things you can just jump in and do amazing, beautiful things. But for right now, like I'm struggling to create a simple responsive animation where I don't have to keyframe every single possible thing I've talked to maybe 10 master animators who are just like, yeah, dude, there's literally no way. You can baby rig it with expressions and 10,000 keyframes. And then if you want to make one change, it's three days. It's just, it's insane. It's awful. It's brutal. There's just some brutal things about After Effects.
1: It's almost like you shouldn't even have the idea, like just don't have the idea. idea. We're going to talk about UX in motion now. And the site is chock full of, I want to say probably like a dozen deep courses that you put together. But the thing that really stuck out to me, aside from the fact that you're sitting at a desk with your nice like coffee press, like whole thing there, aside (laughs) from that, I noticed that you did a free animation course just on lot files and icon animation. And I just thought that was a big deal. In researching your background, I looked at all the roles you've had across the industry from artifact to ideal. But the thing that really gets me was when I went to UX in motion, man, and I looked at all the stuff, there's this free course. So I got to shout you out. I'm going to put a link to it uh-huh. in the description, but tell us a little bit more, like plug UX in motion however you'd like to and tell us how it's been doing.
0: Yeah. Okay. Awesome. Thanks, man. Thanks for the question. I think when it started, I was pretty fired up. I love creating resources. I I love engaging with folks with comments on my videos and all this stuff. Actually, one of my favorite things is just being able to connect with people from all demographics, from all countries, and just answer questions and help people has been a really rewarding part of this. I love creating the, the free courses for folks to get started. Honestly, I'm looking for ideas of what to do next with it. I'm curious. I'm looking at a lot of things. I'm talking to a lot of people. If you have opinions and you're listening and you're like, here's what I think you should do. Drop me a email from my site. Right now, the thing that I'm really focusing on is design systems with motion. And to me, that feels like a really important topic that not a lot of people are addressing. There's some work that's been published, but nobody's really deep dived. So in the last few months, I've been uh, like auditing all the major design systems out there that have motion, looking into their thinking, their philosophy, their approaches, what is the value, how they're articulating it, how does motion get used across the team from designers and uh, like engineers, How does the vision get translated down into patterns and components, all this stuff. So to me right now, currently, that's something that I'm really keen on is designing comprehensive design systems with motion, whether it's small scale for like a product or like a whole big platform. And that's something that I think is cool. So I've been talking to designers at Google, Apple, Facebook, and Microsoft and learning from them how their approaches are. So I might put together a course for that. I'm not really sure yet it's just something that I think is just interesting to me, and I will say too, like what I've learned as an artist is to really just follow your inspiration. And not question it too much, so I can't say why i'm stoked on design systems right now with motion it sounds boring as hell like talking about it, but for some reason I get excited and I just learned not to question that. So if like you're listening to this and you're just into something and you can't explain it and maybe you feel bad, like you should be doing something else, just go with it and see where it leads. You may end up in the middle of nowhere, with no way back. And that's just what can happen sometimes. Yeah. Listen, as you search the desert of design
1: motion, looking for your oasis, like we <laughs> would love to help you. So you awesome. know, whenever the time comes, yeah, if you want to come do a webinar with the with the Lottie Files community, I think it would be a value because to be honest, like you said, it's not something people are really thinking about. I'm sure the, the community would love to help you in, in your search for this. And yeah, we'd love to host you and come show us what you're finding out. It might be something, it might be a nothing burger, but the point is like, we need to push this conversation forward on design systems for motion. That's awesome. So let me ask you this. I've asked you a lot of questions. We've talked about a lot of things. What's a question I haven't asked you that you wish I did?
0: Here's something that I talk about and I think about a lot and I read about, which is, I wished I was asked more about the role of ethics in what we do as designers, we impact people's lives. Our design programs do not have a framework for how to address this with ethics. What does it mean when what you do can impact a person's life, when they can become less engaged with their family or their friends, or their behavior gets modified, or they find themselves not moving their body as much and start to become weaker or gain weight or the other things that are just bad from just like not moving your body to me this is a gap in a needed conversation that's been needed for a long time because as designers i think we have a responsibility to at least have these conversations and talk about what these things are doing and because i think what happens a lot of times we just get focused on solving this problem the world is not an isolated place Solving this problem causes other problems, causes other reactions, causes other like secondary occurrences in people's behavior, in the planet, in all kinds of stuff. I was fortunate enough to be working with some folks at Amazon who were a climate activist group who successfully pressured the company. One of the world's largest companies was pressured by about 10 designers to completely change their policies with regards to climate change. I was privileged enough to contribute on some of their campaigns, and I got to see firsthand how the world's largest corporations are easily threatened by a small group of dedicated people who know where to apply pressure. And amazing things can happen, and I think this is not something that's talked about. I think most people who work in tech get paid so much they're scared to lose their jobs because they're feeding their families. They've got their mortgages. They've got whatever. And you have these people who actually know a lot of stuff, what's going on behind the scenes, who are scared to speak up, scared to even, even hint at acknowledging that climate change is happening. It's pretty weird, man, because I, as you can tell, I have my opinions about these things. And I don't bring that into my professional space when I teach workshops. That's not what I'm hired There to do. But I do look and I do learn and I do think about these things. My number one question I would have if you're listening to this is which companies would you never work for? Like, I I have my personal set of ethics that I know where those boundaries are. Now, I know there's a lot of privilege behind that because I can afford to have that stand. And I know a lot of folks listening are just happy to take whatever job they can. And I get that. I totally get that. But that's a very complex situation. So I would really like design schools to have a whole section where we talk about ethics and what it means to make an impact in uh, people's lives and to be accountable because designers aren't accountable for these things. There's no framework by which we can design something. And if it causes people to become less engaged with their family, what are the consequences of that for designers? Really nothing. So we have the best of of uh, both worlds. So I would like to see some changes made there. I've been thinking about that, writing a little bit in the space. I think it's an important topic.
1: Thank you. I think one thing you've highlighted is Sara is designers have a lot of power. I do have a lot of respect for your opinion just regarding the, the, the power that designers have. Thank you for sharing that. Two more questions as we wrap up. Yeah, man. Second to last question. Who should we invite next to this
0: Lottie Files podcast? Oh, dude. Have you had the main guy, Mr. Abdul Kareem on here? I've met him. He's an awesome dude. Really deep thinker. I would definitely have him because he, he's the OG, man. He's the goat, dude. I think your people would want to talk to Adam uh, Ploof. He's a really cool guy also. Super nice, super humble. Without him we would be screwed. So two unique people who wrote free resources for the community that's impacted millions and millions of folks. I just think those two guys are just very, very cool, very inspiring and really speak to your mission of speaking to those young folks who want to create things, who want to change the world. These guys did it and they're humble and they're authentic and they're just great guys.
1: Listen, last question before we go. Isara, you're doing a great job for the community. How can people find you just to follow you, follow your work, say thank you, tell you about what they did with your tutorials? How can people find
0: you? Yes, absolutely. I would love to hear from you. Uh, you can send me it to my uh, like email, which is isara at uh, uxinmotion.net. That's my personal one. I read all those, try and respond to everybody with any and all After Effects questions or anything you want. If you are identifying as LGBTQ+, Native American, or Black designer, reach out. I have scholarships for you. Sarah,
1: right. it's been awesome having you. I've Thanks, learned Sarah. a lot. Really enjoyed having you.
0: Thanks for your time. Man. It was a pleasure meeting you. Uh, thank you so much for uh, like having me. And I hope if you're listening, you got some value from this.
1: Yeah. We'll definitely be reaching out. Hopefully, maybe we can bring you into the Discord community. Maybe do an AMA, do a webinar. Talk about what you're learning in motion design systems. Yeah, Yeah. we're going to try to hang on to you. All right. Take care, man. Have a good weekend. All right. Thank you, too. Bye.